Welcome to MDA Insights, the podcast where we bring you the latest in training and development trends straight from the experts at MDA Training. Welcome to our show today. I'm Oz Hussein, and as usual, I'm joined by my partner in crime, Paul Hewitt, friend, long-term friend, mentor, training consultant, director at MDA Training. Paul, good morning. How are you today, sir? I am well, Oz. I'm really well, and I'm absolutely delighted um, to introduce our guest today, Razan Kalani, mental coach of the International Coats Academy. Uh, who for over 12 years has enabled clients, whether they be CEOs, whether they be teams, couples, or even parents, and Oz, we might need to talk about that later on, to reconnect with what motivates them to continue facing their challenges. Uh, Razan, lovely to see you. Do you want to say a couple of words before we start? Yeah, Yeah. well, thank you for having me. And also, I'm very, very excited for this interview. That's great. Fantastic. And so today's topic, we're going to be uh, exploring addressing employee motivation challenges, tips and strategies for HR leaders. But before we get into that, Razan, give us a little background about yourself and what you've been up to in your sort of career, in your education and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So um, I have a master's in uh, media and cultural studies uh, from Bristol University, uh, believe it or not. So yes, I did study in the UK. Uh, I'm doing a second master's right now in psychology, and I've been working as a coach um, for over 12 years. Uh, currently, I teach at the International Coach Academy, um, ICA, and also I'm a certified um, uh, master certified coach from the ICF, the International Coach Foundation. So um, prior to that, I had tried to work in corporate, um, in the corporate field, and I felt that um, it was quite stressful and there was a lot of toxicity. So I decided to quit and to start my own business. And so I've been freelancing since then. Um, I've helped individuals, teams uh, in the corporate world, in educational institutions, um, I've also helped parents. So I'm a team coach, but also I do one-on-ones. Um, so I absolutely feel excited about today's topic because it's so relevant and it is happening almost everywhere in the world in every person's life. So we all experience stress and toxicity in the workplace. We all went to quit. Um, and so, you know, we have to face that uncertainty. And so I'm here to try to help. Um, with some tips and tricks to help uh, HR teams to uh, overcome uh, the problems that employers might have that might drive them to quit. Absolutely. Razan, tell us a little bit more when you, you know, you've mentioned it a couple of times in your short little intro there, that toxic kind of culture, that toxicity. I can't even say the word. It's a one in words I know I struggle to say. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us a little bit more. What did you find in in your work in the corporate world? What did you find that was a thing that was impacting most well yeah well toxicity is quite diverse and it takes different forms and different names as well um and it happens um 
like in, in, in the entire spec uh, professional spectrum. Um, and also at least one person has experienced an incident like that or a workplace like that um, in their lifetime. And so um, this is quite common. So what I what I have um, worked with or the problems, the challenges that I've helped teams handle um, <clears throat> is embodied in some high performance uh, professionals um, taking the credit um, while they're not trustworthy. And so, you know, Simon Sinek talks about this, where, you know, corporates or the corporate culture has been rewarding high performance performers, um, despite of the fact that they're not trustworthy. And, and he argues that, you know, you need to uh, twist things around. You need to uh, start rewarding good behavior and positive personalities. In other words, you know, based on my background in emotional intelligence and as an emotional intelligence trainer as well, um, you know, we call them emotionally intelligent leaders. And, you know, they can be junior employees um, who really strive to improve the workplace, who uh, try to glue the team members together. Uh, they try to go the extra mile while you find uh, a mid-tier manager sabotaging this entire thing and all of the employees' uh, efforts. So this takes different uh, forms, like, for example, gossip, uh, nepotism, favoritism, groupism, um, uh, hiding emails uh, from some employees, you know, not sharing with everybody. Um, in addition to rude behaviors, uh, workplace incivility, uh, you know, nowadays. Would you, would you say that's to do with keep, trying to keep control? Is that the way exactly. to keep control over their people? Exactly, yes. Because uh, most of these uh, personalities in general, um, um, they are known to have narcissistic uh, traits. And so uh, narcissistic traits uh, resemble sociopathic um, traits as well and psychopathic traits so um, the three of them you know fall almost in the same category when it comes to lacking empathy and so um, the workplace the global workplace culture has been rewarding um, high performance despite of the fact that they're sabotaging the work environment or they're toxifying it or they're they're really uh, pushing employees to quit and resign and so this is such a big loss so you know I, I do agree with Simon Sinek that we need to turn things around and we need to um, really reward uh, leaders emotionally intelligent leaders those that you can trust those that you would love to work with Rosanna it's interesting just as you're talking because because on the one hand you kind of think Toxicity is an emotional reaction to something. I perceive something to be toxic. But at the same time, toxicity is a is a cultural, it's an endemic thing that is built within organizations. So it looks like one is the real, yeah, and that something has to stop, and the other is a perception, and it might be that the same things are going on, which requires resilience to cope with. Is is that understanding correct? Well, it's, it goes far and beyond that. So it's not just a perception that single individual or another experiences in the workplace. It goes beyond that. There are like uh, work culture um, mental schemas, if you like, um, where, um, you know, gossip is the norm, you know, uh, backstabbing, um, um, 
hiding information, uh, important information. So these are dynamics that are taking place in the workplace that are really hindering the work progress and process. And also it's making everyone uncomfortable and most importantly, um, you know, when the majority is feeling insecure. This is what we call the work environment as toxic. So, and, and forgive, so if I just pick up on that. So a message perhaps to an HR perspective is it, there's a twofold attack here. One is, uh, you know, let's acknowledge that toxicity exists in the workplace, but actually stage one is let's kind of stamp it out. Let's, mm-hmm. let's act decisively on toxic behaviours. But stage two, let's also develop resilience in terms of employees to acknowledge the fact that, you know, an emotional response isn't necessarily a logical response. So whilst you might not be able to change the situation, you can change your response to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, but also um, I am addressing as well uh, some type of management styles where uh, favoritism takes place or groupism or... Uh, nepotism, you know, like um, I think almost in every company that I've worked with, um, I've seen that happening, even, you know, unconsciously. Like the CEO has no idea that there is a, a certain group that, you know, hovers around him or her all the time. And so um, they, you know, the, the type of management that focuses on you know, the CEO being um, um, my way or the highway um, or a one-man show type of thing creates um, employees, right, you know, underneath this uh, manager who try to please him and catch his attention and to, um, you know, agree with him whether this is happening or not. Sometimes they hide information. Sometimes they... um, tell that CEO or the manager the news differently. And so they're not quite transparent. So they're like a cloud that blocks the employees that, you know, go underneath them. And so any employee who even thinks of approaching that CEO or complains or, or you know, speak up, sometimes they're threatened, you know, you know, I know this CEO. So if he knows that you're complaining that so-and-so is going to happen. And oftentimes the CEO has no idea what's happening behind his or her back. And that, that's tough. That's that's unconscious bias. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and by almost by definition, because it's unconscious, I'm blind to it. Yeah. So how, how would you approach somebody who is unconsciously favoring... Case in point, I mean, I love my children equally. Um, and I love them in equal measure, but I will treat my son very different to my daughter, not because I favour one or the other. I just recognise the fact that their life experience is very, very different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not talking about equality here. Uh, we're talking about equity, you know, like dealing, being emotionally intelligent about it. So treating everyone like they need to be treated. So of course the CEO doesn't have time to meet every single employee in the in the organization, um, or learn more about them, or even hear about them. Um, oftentimes each employee has a number, and so you know management managers um, also suffer as a result of that cloud that happens that blocks employees' input from. Uh, reaching to that uh, decision maker. And so um, 
I would like to invite anyone who finds those symptoms happening in their organization to rethink their management style, to create more open doors, more opportunities to uh, for everyone to communicate, for everyone to be able to reach up to um, you know the you know the higher tiers um, in the workplace, and also express their concerns, provided that you know there should be a code of conduct. Um, that they're polite, um, the information that they're uh, coming forward with is is true and authentic, so they're not trying to scam anyone or to put anyone in trouble. So, you know, there should be like a, an open door policy that allows that. Also, I found that activities such as group coaching or group training, um, especially outside of the work, uh, place or the premises where that where everybody works, I find that um, really effective in terms of getting like uh, higher tier managers to really observe the teams that they're working with, to see them for real, for who they are, to connect um, one to one and to appreciate them, you know, human to human, not sort of computer to computer or email address to email address. Yeah. Rosanne, one thing, you know, when I think through what you're saying there, you, often coaches will be elected based on their sort of high performance. Um, but that's not necessarily, there's a few alarm bells that ring there because not, you know, not everyone is, could be a good coach. Not everyone's even fit to be a coach. Yes, you know, how, you know how, how would you go about sort of coaching someone that maybe exhibits bad behaviors? Maybe they create a shout, uh, a, shout, a, a cloud uh, yeah. with their employees, but that person's also a coach. You know, how do you coach a coach to be a better coach? Mm -hmm. um, so I can't, basically. Mm -hmm. So there goes my uh, number two tip. You know, yeah. we should always choose um, the people that we work with uh, cautiously because, um, you know, whereas someone could have all the degrees and all the certificates in the world, uh, you, you might find that if you sit with them for five minutes, you can't stand them. So there is such a thing as chemistry set. So you get to meet the person before and to see if you're a good match. Um, however, uh, what happens is that most, you know, this is what happens often is that, you know, people look at your LinkedIn profile, your uh, CV, and then they make the decision. And I find that there's nothing equivalent to, you know, that person-to-person -person interaction that really um, activates your intuition when you're choosing people. So I can't change anyone who doesn't want to be changed. Yeah. This is something that I've learned over and over again in my career as a coach. Um, however, there are lots of people who sincerely wish to change and radically transform either their work environment, uh, their management style, um, even their professional demeanor. Um, and so anyone who wishes to work on themselves, then I'm happy to work. But it starts with them. Absolutely. I, I, I love I love that person. Uh, if I refuse to change, yeah, while I'm stuck, and and, and is, is that almost the the origins of toxic cultures, which are people who are refusing to change and people who are refusing to um, to communicate. So, Rosanne, let me ask a question: How how would you those blocked doors? How would you, perhaps from an HR perspective? 
How would you find a way by which organizations can free up those block stores to communicate more effectively? Yeah. Because communicating more effectively is, is very easy to say. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, there are certain points that we can focus on as HR. For example, achievement. So, for example, if a team uh, in our company achieves something, we need to celebrate that. HR has to make a point of highlighting every single person in the team and their skill. Um, and so this way, employees feel that they're appreciated, they're heard. And um, these two feelings, appreciation and the fact that somebody sees you, sees your effort, acknowledges what you're doing, recognizes you for your talents, is quite a motivator. So... Uh, recognizing achievements also recognizing progress so probably there are certain employees you know who did not have good appraisal for a number of years um however um around a certain time they do something that is right that shows their progress for example if the team attends um uh like a coaching uh type of training uh training or coaching that that's happening outside of the work environment And then the the manager recognizes that someone who's known in the workplace as inefficient or not that good um, has done something impressive. They, they've improved on something uh, or this team has worked on something and they progressed there. So we also have to acknowledge progress, even if it's 1%. Uh, also to find out ways to acknowledge and recognize employees said earlier. Uh, like, for example, celebrating, um, you know, certain events, cultural events, uh, religious events with certain uh, employees who uh, observe these occasions and also um, encouraging autonomy. Um, so nothing motivates employees than making them feel responsible for what they do and honoring them for that. So giving them the leeway, the space to sort of work and show you, you know, how good they are and, and rewarding that. Um, and also observing their effect on the rest of the team um, they're in and also how they're growing. So also the growth indicators are a big thing. So if your employees are growing, this is a good indication that your work environment is healthy. But if your employees are not growing and they're insecure and everyone is just hiding their backs, you know, being afraid of being stabbed in the back sometime soon, you know, this is not a good thing. And, and we are not growing unless we are uncomfortable. But, and, and, but, but I think we need to acknowledge that discomfort. There's a, what's the line in Avatar? I see you. Yes. And, and I genuinely see you. Yeah. Both in terms of where you are, what you've done, how you've achieved, how you've grown, and yes. of all of that. That's yes. Doesn't it ultimately come down to, though, money? Because don't people just see motivation, you know, as, well, I want to see that in my pay packet. Mm-hmm. You know, but... You know, yeah, but isn't that often that's quite short term mm-hmm. in the respect that, yeah, you get that little boost and then a month later, same again, you know, so. Yeah, well, um, often as HR, we think that if we want to motivate someone, we should increase their pay. However, this has proven through research that it has a temporary effect on them, as you just said, Bob. So if you... Um, teach your employees that every time you do something right, there's a raise, then s- some kind of entitlement uh, starts growing in your workplace. And so then employees lack motivation because if they're not paid, 
they feel, you know, victimized or yeah. they feel like they're underappreciated. And so um, also, on the other hand, this is one of the ways um, in which we find um, low trust, high performance um, employees being rewarded. So because they focus on high achievement, um, they get uh, um, rewarded uh, financially. And so they set a standard for the rest of the employees. And so then employees learn that, you know, I don't care to have empathy or to work as a as part of a team or to even uh, be transparent about the information that I have or the emails that I receive. Um, I just want to be like that person, right? And so it creates entitlement and, and, and toxic competition. That's all for today's episode of MDA Insights. At MDA Training, we take a unique approach to training and development. We don't just focus on the theory, we focus on real-world application of that theory. We work with our clients to understand their specific needs and design experiential training solutions to meet those needs. But it's not just about the training. We work with our clients to help them achieve measurable results and create real behavior change in the workplace. We hope you found this information valuable from our podcast today. If you did, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. We'll be back next week with more insights and expert advice. Thanks for listening.